0: Well, I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Obviously, uh, different times. Uh, I have talked to many of my friends who said they could not get together with as many family members as they would have liked. Uh, Here's the good news, all right? 34 days left in this awful year of 2020. We're all doing things differently, but I think yesterday was truly a day of reflection and truly a day of thanks. Thanks. And Thanksgiving every year has tremendous meaning, but maybe this year, 2020, it had that extra meaning. Maybe we're doing more reflecting on our lives and others and where we're heading as we hopefully in 2021 stem the tide uh, on this awful pandemic. But I want to give you uh, a couple of things that I'm really thankful for. I was reading Jim Gray's new book, Talking to Goats. And by the way, it's a fabulous book. It's an incredible, incredible book. And in the book, at the end, in his acknowledgments, uh, he thanked so many people that have been so influential in his career. And again, his book is marvelous. I I really suggest you picking up. Again, it's called Talking uh, to Goats. And Jim Gray, uh, you know, if I didn't know Jim... I would say the book could nowhere, no way, shape or form be true because the stories are just so unbelievable. But I know Jim and I've been around Jim. And so I know that the stories are true. Uh, like That's just that's Jim Gray. The 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 contacts, the stories, uh, his life story is incredible. But again, he was, you know, very thankful and gave a lot of people their due credit uh, in the book. So I want to start off by saying, first of all, I'm just thankful for you and the support that you've given me over the years and on this podcast. I started this podcast at the beginning of October. Uh, I'm getting tremendous feedback. And by the way, I appreciate the comments. I appreciate the feedback. I appreciate the fact, and I am thankful that you subscribe and that you have passed the word on to your friends. And I would encourage you to do that. I'm grateful and I'm thankful for my loyal sponsors such as Roy McGovern with Roy's Umbrella. I I can't thank him enough, Scott Robbins and his company and New Works Plumbing. I can't thank Bill Schwartz enough from the Home Theater Company who has been with me since 1995. Uh, I'm a big believer in loyalty and I've got some real loyal people uh, behind me. But nobody more loyal than you. Nobody more loyal than my listeners, my supporters, my followers. And for that, uh, I am gratefully, gratefully uh, thankful. I am very, very thankful. Trust me, I am very thankful. This podcast is brought to you by Roy's Umbrella. And I talk about loyalty. I've gotten to know Roy. I've worked with Roy for a number of years on my home loans. And the rates are so low right now. And a lot of people have their house on the market or they're thinking of doing a refi. I want you to spend a moment and check out the website, roysumbrella.com. You're going to love what you see. All right. Not only will you get that low rate, okay, on your home loan, there's going to be no tricks. There's going to be no nonsense and no extra charges. Roy and his staff, they're going to get to know you. That's the way they do business. And you're going to feel like at the end of the process, well, I've got new friends at Roy's Umbrella because that's how they operate. Just go to roysumbrella.com. That's roysumbrella.com. So on the podcast today, uh, I'm just going to tell you a few things that I'm really thankful for and uh, things that have really impacted my life. And some of these stories you have heard uh, others you have not heard. But I think we all, regardless of what walk of life we're in, those of you that are in school, you're on your way hopefully to a very nice career. Doesn't have to be a career where you're making millions of dollars, because after all, if you don't wake up happy every day, then what good is it? And that's one of the messages I always give to our youth when I speak at schools or I run into. Uh, young people, or they reach out to me via email, whatever the case may be. I'm like, you know, you go to school beginning in what? Nursery school, kindergarten. Then you go to school for 12 years. And then hopefully you go to college for four years and some go on past that and get their master's or they become a doctor or an attorney, whatever the case may be. But then you work for what? 30, 35, 40 years, and I always tell people this, don't wake up unhappy every day, all right? Don't wake up unhappy every day. Do something that you like to do. Don't do something that, oh, gee, that's going to make me a lot of money. No, do something that you really enjoy doing, all right? And I was fortunate growing up outside of New York City on Long Island and I'm so thankful that my father introduced me to sports at such an early age. You've heard in the past we had season tickets to the Giants and the Jets. I was at an NFL game every Sunday beginning at age three. I got a chance to see Jim Brown play in person. I got a chance to see Bob Hayes and Roger Staubach. You know, I got a chance to see Gail Sayers. I got a chance to watch Johnny Unitas, Joe Namath. I got a chance to watch Fran Tarkington. I got a chance to watch so many incredible Hall of Famers growing up. And there was nothing like going to an NFL game every Sunday. And really, every Sunday, I was at a game. And my love for sports started to grow. We would go to New York Ranger games on Sunday afternoons. My dad would surprise me and my brother. He would take us to football games at West Point. He would take us to basketball games at the Merchant Marine Academy at Kings Point. You know, we were always you know, at games. And of course, you know, my brother and I were always playing sports. Uh, both he and I played football and lacrosse in high school. My brother actually played football and lacrosse in college. But I'm so thankful that I had a father that introduced me to not only the mainstream sports, but used to take us to the Millrose games every year at Madison Square Garden to watch some of the great track and field athletes. Uh, I remember as a kid, my dad surprising us with the uh, holiday festival at Madison Square Garden when LSU was playing. And Pete Maravich, incredible. Pistol Pete of LSU came out onto the floor at Madison Square Garden and put on a dribbling exhibition before anybody was out on the floor. Incredible. I remember being at the NHL All-Star Game. My dad surprised me and my brother with tickets for that. And I remember Bobby Orr slipping on the ice as he was being introduced to the crowd. You've heard my relationship my great friendship with Christopher Mad Dog Russo, a lifelong friendship that still goes on here in our 60s. Chris and I grew up together, just a few houses apart. And our love for sports and our love for sports casting and the great legendary announcers that we used to imitate while we were playing sports on the blacktop of Split Rock High School or Split Rock Grade School, I should say. You know, Southwoods Junior High School, Syosset High School. Those were great memories. I'm thankful for Tom Oaks. Tom Oaks, who I met in junior high school, and he and his family were so well-connected with the McGuire family. Al McGuire, Dick McGuire, Frank McGuire. I used to see Dick McGuire at high school games everywhere. I used to think there was more than one Dick McGuire because he was everywhere. And through Tom, I got a chance to interview Al Michaels when I got in the college, or excuse me, Al McGuire when I got in the college. But in eighth grade, Tom, with his connections to the McGuire family and the New York Knicks, got me to Madison Square Garden for a Knicks game. You couldn't go to a Knicks game when I was that age. You couldn't get tickets to go watch the Knicks. There was the hottest ticket in town, but not with Tom Oaks. And it was really something I'll never forget and meeting with Marv Albert before the Knicks-Bulls game. And I probably spent only five minutes talking to Marv Albert up on the concourse behind where he broadcast games from. But it was a five-minute conversation that impacted my life and made me realize that that's what I wanted to do even more than I thought I wanted to do. And then watching Bullwinkle at center, and I watched Jerry Sloan that night and Bob Love take on the New York Knicks. I remember what I was wearing. I had a pair of linen pants on and I had a kind of a a, a wild red button down shirt with a pattern on it because that was the dress back there, uh, back in the 70s. But I remember meeting Marvin, the impact that that had on my life. So I'm thankful for Tommy Oaks. I'm thankful for Glenn Cerny when I got to college who owned WKIQ Radio. And I did an internship my junior year when I was at Bowling Green. And Glenn took me in. And Glenn, who I had gotten to know from working at the campus radio station and I would see him at games, but Glenn ended up being not only an incredible influence in my life from a work perspective, Glenn became one of my best friends in life. And to this day, I still get Christmas cards from Glenn and Sue and their grown kids and their grandchildren. And the impact that Glenn had on my life, I'm so thankful that our paths crossed because he gave me The confidence, and he had confidence and trust in me. And my internship, my junior year, I had two 15-minute sports magazine shows on WKIQ radio that I did everything. I edited, I produced, I hosted. And that was such a thrill for me to be doing that at a commercial station. And then Glenn, during my junior year, let me do a couple of Bowling Green hockey games. And Bowling Green, folks, they were a national powerhouse. And they did Bowling Green football and Bowling Green basketball. And um, I got a chance to do, you know, more and more. And I worked for Glenn as an intern again in my senior year. And then when I graduated from Bowling Green in 1981, my first full-time job was working for WKIQ and Glenn Cerny. I was a morning disc jockey. And I used to get up early in the morning and I'd have to be on at 6 and I'd open up the door and turn on the heat if it was in the wintertime and turn on all of the equipment. And it was a music format in the morning. And I remember, you know, playing the music. But I also remember part of my responsibility twice a week was reading the funeral report brought to you by Klotz Flowers on East Wooster Street. You know, you always talk about paying your dues in this business. You talk about what you do as you climb up the ladder. And here I am at WKIQ in Bowling Green, Ohio, reading the funeral report. Twice a week. I was an account executive. I went out and did sales. Glenn would have me do a lot of the bowling green hockey. Glenn had two young sons at the time and didn't like to travel as much. And in college hockey, you had a game on Friday and Saturday. You'd play the same team in a two-game series. And very often, you would be up in the Upper Peninsula, whether it was Marquette, Michigan, or Sault Ste. Marie, uh, or whatever the case may be. But you would; they, these were 10-hour bus rides with the team. And Glenn let me do a lot of those series by myself and I would go to the station and I would pack up all of the equipment and I would check and I would double check and I would triple check because, Hey, the last thing you want to do is get to a location and not have the right equipment. And, You know, we would check into the hotel with the team on Thursday. And, you know, what? Friday, I would ride over with the team on the bus. And this was so exciting for me. You know, I'd be doing a Bowling Green, Northern Michigan, you know, two teams ranked in the top 10 in the country. And I would get to the press box early, and I would set up all the equipment, and I would test it back with the engineer at Bowling Green. And then I would record an interview that would be played during the first and second period, and another one for the second and third period. I would interview the coach. I would do a half-hour pregame show. I would do all the play by play. I didn't have anybody as an analyst. I was truly a one man band, set up the equipment and announced the pregame, the first, second and third period in between periods and the post-game show and did that on Friday and Saturday. And to this day, that's one of the most enjoyable times of my life in broadcasting sports, because you were truly a one man band and. Bowling Green was a national powerhouse and there were a lot of people that were listening to those games back in Bowling Green. And so I'm grateful for Glenn Cerny who gave me an opportunity to advance my career when probably there weren't, I, I just would say I was the youngest by far at the station. I'll just leave it at that. I'm thankful for meeting Vic Piano through my father, who was the owner of the Ms. Lou television network. The Mizlu Television Network was ESPN before ESPN became a thing. And he put me in touch with the executive producer, Bill Schwing. And Bowling Green in 1983 made it to the California Bowl against Fresno State. And again, I was still at WKIQ at the time. And we did all three sports at WKIQ, but we were not the official station for football. We were for basketball and we were for hockey, but we weren't for football. So we weren't doing the game in Fresno, but I got in touch with Bill Schwing and I said, I'm going to be out in Fresno. They were doing the game and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to just throw the dice here. And he said, well, we're going to be meeting at this hotel, you know, be there at six o'clock on Friday. And thankful, thankfully, I was able to fly out to California. I had never been to California. And I remember flying in, to San Francisco and then taking a small plane to Fresno. And it was one of the great weekends of my life. I remember going to the meeting and at the end of the meeting at the hotel, Bill Schwing says, No, I'm sorry, who are you again? And I said, I'm Grant Napier. I call he goes, Oh, yeah, yeah. He goes, Now what is it that you want? I said, Well, I was just, you know, do you need anything at all? Do you need anyone to do anything? And he said, you mean on the air? And I said, well, whatever you need. I'm happy to do anything. I flew out here and, you know, anything I can do. And he said, well, you know, you know, this is a big business and this is national TV. And I said, yes, I completely understand. And he goes, well, you know, actually, I do need someone to do, you know, two segments at halftime. I would like to give my play-by-play announcer, Howard David, who was... He's had a tremendous career. At one time, he did Monday Night Football on Westwood One. He was the voice of the Celtics for a couple of years, the Nets. Um, But Howard David was doing the play-by-play. He said, I'd like to give Howard a break at halftime. He said, listen, tomorrow, get to the game three hours ahead of time, and I'm going to give you an audition. And if you're good, then you can do the halftime. And if not, he goes, hey, I'm running a business here. I said, hey, I said, you know, Bill, if I'm not good enough to go on your network, then I completely understand. And I got to the game four hours ahead of time. And they had a lot of technical problems. And they couldn't give me an audition. And so I'm standing in the broadcast booth. It was kind of like, like a, a a multi-layer booth. You know, the talent was on the first level, and then there was a step, and then there was a long desk, and then there was another step. And so I was up on the third portion of the booth, but I was still in the booth. And so the first quarter is over, and I'm, you know, dressed in my suit and about a couple of minutes left to go in the first half, I asked the stage manager, I said, listen, can you please ask Bill if I'm doing halftime or not because I'd like to get something prepared? And with three minutes left in the first half, she said, you're going to do a halftime. You're going to interview the commissioner of the conference and then you're going to do a few stats and highlights. Now, I've never been on TV before, but I've been practicing my whole life to be on TV. Never been on television. And my first time on TV was going to be national television on the Mislu Sports Network in the California Bowl. And was I nervous? Hell yeah, I was nervous. But I wasn't nervous out of fear. I wasn't nervous because I didn't think I could do it. I was nervous just because of the situation and my adrenaline and, and, and everything else. So I did it. I thought it went well. I walk out of the stadium at the end of the game and I'm walking by the TV truck and Bill Schwing comes out and he says, Grant, he goes, oh my God. And he's yelling. He's going, oh, we were so freaking nervous in that truck. You know, we had no idea what you were going to do. He said, but you did a hell of a job. And I said, wow, thank you very much. He goes, hey, I wish you the best of luck in your career. You did a hell of a job. And I was just like, wow. You know, to hear those words from a professional gave me so much confidence. And I went back to Bowling Green and Jim Tishy, I'm thankful for Jim Tishy, the sports director at the ABC ABC station in Toledo, Channel 24, couple of months later, I ran in the gym. And again, I knew Jim because, you know, Bowling Green and Toledo, 20 minutes apart. And, you know, we would see each other. And he said, he came, he comes up to me, goes, I didn't know you did TV. And I said, I didn't either. And he said, well, listen, I've got six weeks vacation this summer. And the weekend guy's filling in for me. Would you be interested in coming up and doing an audition? We need someone to fill in on the weekends. And I'll never forget it. June 18th, my birthday, 1983. I go up to... Channel 24 in Toledo, Ohio. And I walk in and the news director says, write a couple of scripts and then we'll meet you in the studio. And I'm thinking, wow, I don't use scripts. You know, I ad lib everything I do. I I don't write. I mean, I really don't. I had a tough time even getting past, you know, English 101 at Bowling Green because I hate writing. I'm just not a writer. Even scripts. You know, everything I've done on the radio throughout my career and TV, I don't write things down. I like to ad lib. I like to wing it. And so I write the scripts and I walk into the studio and I sit down at the desk and the teleprompter is run by the anchor with your foot and a foot pedal, kind of like an old fashioned sewing machine, I guess. And I'm like, oh my gosh, not only do I have to read the scripts, I have to work the damn teleprompter with my foot. So I read the scripts, I do my sportscast and the news director is in there watching me do it. And I get done and the news director says... Would you like to do it again? And I said, Well, you don't get a chance to do it again when you're live, right? And he says, No, you don't. I said, Then I'm good. I get a call the next day from Jim Tishy. I got hired to fill in on the weekends for five bucks an hour. Now, during that time, the radio station in Bowling Green had been sold, Spanish format. I lose my job. I moved back to New York. Mike Regey. That's right, Michael Redgey. You might recognized the name. He does work for ESPN. He did the Cavaliers for a number of years on TV, was the weekend sports anchor. And Michael would call me up, sometimes on a Thursday, and I'd be on Long Island in New York. Can you work this weekend? I'm like, hell yeah. I get my little Subaru, no air conditioning, my little Subaru, white Subaru hatchback, and I would drive 10 hours from New York. I would stay at Glenn Cerny's house in Bowling Green, I would do a five-minute sportscast on Saturday, a five-minute sportscast on Sunday, and drive back to New York on Monday. And when I was working in Toledo, I think I shared this the other day when I was, uh, when I had a guest on, we were talking about baseball, and we were talking about, you know, minor league sports, and I was talking to Mickey Hatcher, who played on the Minnesota Twins, and he developed a great relationship with Kirby Puckett. I watched Kirby Puckett play at the Toledo Mudhens. I covered Kirby Puckett when I was at Channel 24. I used to go out with the camera. I would shoot the video and then go back and edit it, and that would be part of my uh, sports cast. You know, my great story of being at Tiger Stadium and my uh, meeting with Sparky Anderson. And there were so many other things I did back when I was working in Toledo, Ohio. So I'm thankful, very thankful for Jim Tishy. I worked for a year, filling in whenever they needed me. And then that next summer, George McPhee, the president of hockey operations for Vegas, former New York Ranger, George and I roomed together. George was the Hobie Baker Award winner at Bowling Green, which is the equivalent of the Heisman. And he went on and played in the NHL for a number of years, many of those years with the Rangers. And so I left Long Island and George and I rented an apartment In Bowling Green, because he needed a place to work out. And every morning we would get up and go to the gym and go to the track. And I would work out with George, but more importantly, I would help George. I would time him on his sprints and his laps. And I would, you know, be there when he did his, you know, bench pressing and help him. And then I would work out. And, you know, George, to this day, I'm so thankful for George. I'm so thankful to have a friend like George McPhee. And that summer, and we lived together for two summers, but those summers were some of the most memorable times. In my life. But I would send out twenty to thirty tapes at a time after I got a resume tape good enough by doing the fill-in work in Toledo. And I would just send it to markets that I thought I might be able to get a job. And then about a week later, I would call each TV station and the receptionist would answer the phone. Yes, can uh, I speak to so and so? Who is this, please? Many times it would be that individual is not available. But I called this station, W A N D, Channel 17 in Decatur, Illinois, in the middle of July. July of 1984. Lady answers the phone. I said, uh, yes, is uh, Mr. Westbrook available, please? Uh, Who's calling? Uh, My name is Grant Napier. Hang on. All of a sudden, Westbrook here. I said, Mr. Westbrook, how are you? My name is Grant Napier. He goes, Grant Napier. He goes, I literally just looked at your tape this morning. We just had a sports guy tell me he's leaving. I like your tape. He goes, are you available for an interview? I said, absolutely. I got my car the next day. Wasn't that far uh, from Bowling Green to Decatur, Illinois. And quite frankly, I I can't remember, but it wasn't like, you know, out of this world. And I went and I accepted a full-time job at Channel 17 in Decatur, Illinois, 1984, $12,300 a year. I'm so thankful for Dick Westbrook. I'm so thankful for him giving me the opportunity. I'm thankful for him telling me that it wasn't a full-time sports job, that during the week, I would have to be a news photographer until they could go full sports. I would do the sports on the weekends, and I would do news photographer and shooting for reporters. And I'm thankful for Dick because I hated that. And I hated it, but I'm thankful because, you know, it made me learn other aspects of the business. I'm thankful because... It made me work harder. And so I'm so thankful to Dick Westbrook. And when I was in Decatur, Illinois, I'm so thankful that I met a doctor who was very good friends with another doctor. And I got invited to a wedding in 1987 in July. And at that wedding, around the 4th of July in 1987... A gentleman by the name of Barry Baker walked up to me and I'm so thankful that I was at that wedding. I'm so thankful that I took off because the wedding was on a Sunday and I took off work. And I'm so thankful it was the best decision or one of the best decisions I've ever made in my entire life. I'm so thankful that I was at that wedding because by attending that wedding, it completely changed my whole life, changed my life. Barry Baker walks up to me. He was the vice president of Coppler Communications. They own two stations, Channel 11 in St. Louis and Channel 31 in Sacramento. And he walks right up to me. He goes, Grant Napier. I said, yes. He said, I'm Barry Baker. I said, hey, Barry, how are you? It's very nice to meet you. Listen, we have an opening in Sacramento. Send your tape. It's Channel 31. Send your tape and tell them that I told you to send it. So the next day, I send the tape out to Channel 31. I get a phone call on Thursday. They fly me out for an interview the following Monday or Tuesday, I believe. And the general manager at the time, his name was Bill Walsh, not the football coach. And I accepted the job, $25,000 a year. And I thought I was just in heaven. I'm moving from Decatur, Illinois to Sacramento to be the sports director at Channel 31, a station that nobody knows about, all right? I love Lucy, the Three Stooges. You know, they have one newscast that nobody watches. I don't care. Get me the hell out of central Illinois and get me to beautiful, sunny California for $25,000 a year. Sold. And I went back to Decatur and I walked in to Dick and I said, Dick, I said, I've just accepted a job in Sacramento. And he said, Grant, I am really happy for you. You are going to be great. He says, I could not thank you enough for everything you've done for us. I said, well, I'm just giving you my two weeks' notice. He goes, well, listen, you're going on vacation next week, right? I said, yeah, I'm supposed to. He said, well, listen, if you want to just work until the end of this week, we'll pay you for your vacation, and then you can just go if you want, or you can stay. And I said, Dick, you know, that is really unbelievably nice of you. This was on a Tuesday, and my last day was Friday, and I spent the weekend with some friends in St. Louis, and I left for. Sacramento. I want to say it was on a Tuesday, maybe a Wednesday, no air conditioning in my Subaru heat wave all the way across the country. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget pulling into Sacramento and guessing where I'm going. Cause I was staying at the Wood Lake Inn. And when you get to the split, you go I 80 over the top where you go on business 80. And you know, there's no GPS back then. You're just figuring out. I'm like, you know, I go Business 80. And Business 80 ran right into 160 and I end up at the Woodlake Inn. And I'll never forget, I got there about 5.30, 6 o'clock on a Friday and it was 108 degrees and I check into my room and I am sitting outside with the palm trees and the lake in front of me and I've got some shade, but I don't care, it's hot. I'm the only one outside because no one's stupid enough to eat outside and hang out with 108 degrees. But I've never seen palm trees before. Are you kidding me? That was one of the great, great memories of my life, that drive and sitting out there at the Woodlake Inn. I'm thankful for Elliot Truszynski, who became the general manager that year in December at Channel 31. Elliot called me into his office and he said, listen, uh, we're going to try to get the Kings game. So have you ever done basketball before? I said, yes, since I was eight or nine years old. He goes, no, come on. I said, Elliot, I've been doing basketball ever since I could walk. Yes, I can do basketball. I've done basketball my whole life. He said, well, listen, if we get the games, I would like you to do them, but it's not up to me, it's up to the Kings. The first three years, the games were on Channel 13, and the guy that did the games, a dear friend of mine, Tom Curran, who I ended up working with later as uh, he moved from sports into news as an anchor, and just one of the great, great human beings you'd ever want to meet. Well, a little bit later on that year, Elliot calls me into his office, and he says, we won the rights. We got the Kings starting this year. And my heart sunk. And he said, well, listen, he goes, I've got to run this through the Kings. I want you to do the games. But he goes, they've got to approve it. And I think I've told this story many times. That year, probably around the second or third week of December, I had sent a handwritten note to Joe Axelson, the Kings general manager, because I just wanted to thank Joe. I wanted just to thank him that I had come from Illinois I had only been in Sacramento for six months and Julie Fye, the media relations director with the Kings and everyone else was so nice to me, even though I knew that I worked on a station and nobody watched. And I don't even know if Joe knew who I was, but I sent a handwritten note to Joe Axelson thanking him for his staff and how well they treated me and I said in the letter, I sure hope the people of Sacramento realize how lucky they are to have this team here. It reminds me of where I just came from and that's covering the Big Ten. Well, About a week later, after Elliot told me they won the rights to the Kings, he calls me into his office, and I walk into his office, and he said, "Um, I've got some good news for you. He said, you're the new television announcer for the Sacramento Kings, and I can't even begin to tell you what my emotions were, but I walked out of Elliot's office, and I walked to the nearest phone, and I called my father. And it was the greatest conversation I've ever had with my dad because my dad and I and my brother, we grew up at games, watching sports, and for me to call my father and tell him that I was going to be the announcer in the NBA, um, we both broke down on the phone. It's hard for me to even talk about it now, to be honest with you. When I say it's hard, it, it, it brings tears to my eyes. And so I'm so I'm so grateful and thankful for Elliot Trishinsky, who started my path to 32 years of announcing NBA basketball. And I'm so thankful to Jerry Reynolds, who to this day is a dear friend of mine. He's family to me. I met Jerry about, oh, I guess a month after I had been in Sacramento at a restaurant on Northgate Boulevard. And I'll never forget walking into the restaurant and Bill Russell's there and Willis Reed, who was an idol of mine. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe I was in the same room with Bill Russell and Willis Reed. And little did I know that I would, number one, be doing the Kings games the following year, but that Jerry would be such a prominent part in my career, such an influential person in my life. And to this day... Um, Jerry and I talk once or twice a week and knowing Jerry and doing the games with Jerry for the 20 years or however long we did them was a thrill and an honor. And we laughed off the air. We laughed on the air. And the one thing I will miss more than anything is not being able to do one more game with Jerry Reynolds. Because I think that, and I, I hate to pat myself on the back here, the fans of Sacramento deserve that. They deserve a sign-off one more time with Jerry. And I'll even include myself, but I, I, hate, I hate you know, putting myself in there. But that, that's, that's what should have happened, and it's a damn shame that it didn't. And before I worked with Jerry, I worked with uh, Derek Dickey, who ended up being one of my best friends on the planet. Derek was such a great guy. Anyone that knew Derek Dickey would tell you the same thing. He played on the Warriors championship team in 75, Derek and I did the games on TV for a couple of years, and for just a reason that I still cannot figure out, they didn't renew his deal, and he went to work in Chicago. I'm sure you've heard the conversation if you listen to my podcast with Neil Funk, the longtime announcer of the Bulls. He just retired. But Derek didn't make it to the Chicago Stadium one night for a game, or I guess it was the United Center then, and he had a stroke, and he'd been lying on the floor all day. And he had heard the phone ring and the voicemail and from his girlfriend and soon-to-be wife, Sally. And he heard all the messages, but he couldn't move. He couldn't get to the phone. And by the time that they had broken into Derek's condo in Chicago, he had lost everything on one side of his body. He was paralyzed on one side of his body. And I'm so thankful that I had a couple of years with Derek Dickey going out to restaurants, playing golf, helping Derek through his rehabilitation. Derek was so such a strong man, and he loved golf, just loved golf. And I would go to Derek's house and I'd help him out into the car, take the wheelchair, bring it right up to the car. And we would drive to the driving range, and some days Derek could only hit three or four balls, but it didn't matter. It just was made him so happy. Other days he could stay out there for 15 or 20 minutes hitting balls, and that's when I started my golf tournament. I started my golf tournament to raise awareness for stroke. It was a uh, stroke awareness through the American Heart Association. And when Derek passed away in the early 2000s, uh, truly one of the saddest days. But I'll tell you this. I'm thankful that Derek Dickey was in my life because Derek made me a better person. Derek was just, um, he was an angel. He was just an angel. He was a man that, Anyone that came across in his presence, they were better off, and I'm grateful that I can call myself a dear friend of the late Derek Dickey. I'm thankful for Greg lucanbill who brought the Kings from Kansas City to Sacramento. I'm thankful that when I started working for the Kings, Greg lucanbill was the owner, because you could talk to Greg. He was fair. He was great. He's such an instrumental figure in the Sacramento sports landscape. Without Greg lucanbill Well, I wouldn't be talking to you right now, and you wouldn't have a basketball team to root for, and there were a lot of things you wouldn't have in Sacramento without Greg Lukenbill. I'm thankful that Jim Thomas bought the team from Greg, who treated me with such respect and class with both he and his wife, Sally. I'm thankful for the Maloof brothers, who really were great owners until the economy tanked in 2007, and that was the start of the end for, or I should say the beginning of the end. It would be the proper term, right? The Maloof brothers are great people. And I know a lot of people in Sacramento don't want to hear me say that, but they are. And I'm thankful that I had a chance to work for them because, again, they treated me with great respect. They treated my family well. They were always honest to me. They backed me up. And I will always look upon my time working for the Maloofs as a great time in my life. I'm thankful for all of the current minority owners of the Sacramento Kings. I'm thankful for those of you that stepped up when Mayor Kevin Johnson said we need local investors and so many of you took the step forward with your wallets and your checkbooks and you got the ball rolling. And to this day, I'm so close with so many of the minority owners of the Sacramento Kings. I'm thankful that you have been in my life. I'm thankful for so many players that I've met along the way, Reggie Theus, Otis Thorpe, the Joe Kleins of the world, Spud, you know, Tizzy, the wizard, Walt Williams, Olden Polonese, who I got to tell you, Olden is a different cat, and he would be the first one to tell you. And doing this job sometimes can be difficult, and sometimes you have to criticize. And I did criticize Olden Polonese. But you know what? Olden approached me and came up to me and he said, "Let's bury the hatchet." And he would come on my radio show, and he would talk about the mistakes he made, and we would talk about what we experienced together. And to this day, in 2020, whenever I see Olden Pollinaise, I give him a big hug because I've got so much respect for him. Mitch, Brian Grant, Yogi Stewart, Sacramento's very own. I love Yogi. J. Will, J.B. Vladi, who is one of the great human beings on the planet, Paja, Hido. Scott Pollard. I love Ron Artest. Absolutely love being around Ron Artest. I have so much respect for Ron. Love Ron Artest. Bogey, Buddy, Zach Randolph, Belly, Costa Kufis, Corey Joseph. Harrison Barnes is as classy and as professional as anybody you'd want to come across. All the coaches I'm thankful for that I had a chance to be around. You know, Dick Mata early in my career that would include me in shoot-arounds and help me with the team, help me you know, conduct shoot-arounds. Gary St. Jean, who to this day is a dear friend of mine. I love St. It's just so great being around him. I loved Eddie Jordan. I loved the late Rex Hughes, even though Rex embarrassed me on the team bus once. Rex Hughes, who was coaching the Kings. The Kings were in Oakland playing the Warriors, and I was doing the games with Ted Green back then. And I guess Ted had said some things that were uh, contradictory to what was going on, and I guess Rex... Got a phone call from his wife after the game. And I always got on the bus early and I'm on the bus in the tunnel at the arena in Oakland and Rex comes on and he lays into me. I mean, he curses at me and it's the he's screaming at me and I'm just, I didn't say a word. You know, I, I was so, I couldn't believe it. There were other people on the bus and Rex goes and sits down and I'll never forget this for as long as I live. The late great Bill Jones, the trainer of the Sacramento Kings before Pete Youngman. And Pete could not have learned under a better individual, could not have learned the ropes, could not have become where he is today without the mentorship of the great, late Bill Jones. Nobody ever would say a bad word about Jonesy. Jonesy, who passed away from cancer, may he rest in peace, was just a phenomenal human being. He comes up to me after Rex had yelled at me. And he says to me, he leans over, he goes, you don't have to take that shit from him. And he said, that's so wrong. And he put his hand on my shoulder and goes, you're okay. And he turned around and went back up to his seat. And then we're about halfway to Sacramento in the middle of the night. And Rex goes, Grant, come up here, buddy. So he goes, grab a seat next to me. And Rex goes, hey, I'm really sorry. He says, that was so wrong of me. And he said, I found out, you know, you didn't say anything. It was Ted Green. But even if it was Ted, he goes, I overreacted. He goes, you know, I'm trying to get the job here. You know, he was an interim coach. I said, hey, Rex, you know, I love you, man. You don't worry about a thing. I, I got your back. He, he was so sincere and apologetic. And I was like, you know, Rex, it's all good, man. It's all good. And I, I really appreciate you saying that. I'm so thankful that I had that conversation with Rex Hughes. I'm thankful I had a chance to spend uh, eight great years with Rick Adamant, and Rick treated me and my family like gold. I'll never forget, the Kings had two games before the All-Star break, games at Milwaukee and at Detroit. And my wife at the time was taking my youngest son. We were going to the Bahamas for the All-Star break. And I was going to leave from Detroit, and would meet them there. And we were going with some other friends as well. And so I asked Rick. I said, hey, Rick, I know this is kind of crazy, but is there any way I can take my son on the road trip? Trent, he was six years old. He said yes. Now, my son grew up at Arco Arena ever since he could have his eyes open. And... He knew all the players and all the players knew him and to this day he still works for the Kings as a locker room attendant and it's the greatest joy in his life. And so we walk on the plane and he stops us. And he goes, "Now Trent, now listen. Your dad has to stay back there." And he points to the back of the plane. "But you, you can walk wherever you want to go." <laughs> I'm just laughing. So we go, we go to Milwaukee and again, he's six years old and I got him a credential and a ticket and I didn't have to worry about him sitting in the stands because I knew he would be fine. But on the way to the game in Milwaukee, we were on the bus with the players and I said, listen, I want you to understand, he goes, you cannot talk to the players getting off the bus. They've got a game and, you know, so we're going to let them go off the bus. All right. So I end up talking to, I think Jerry and I look around and I'm like, God, where's, where did Trent go?" Well, Trent is off the bus, waiting for all the players to walk off, giving them high fives as they're walking off the bus. And that's the game that Pacer Stojakovic hit, the game-winning shot against Detroit. And not to belabor the point too much, but there was a player on the team, Rabracha, and he was going to the Bahamas, and he had chartered a a, a private plane. And he had told Vladi about it, and Vladi said, listen, is there any way that my announcer and son can go? He said, sure. Well, Rip Hamilton was on the plane. Richard Hamilton and his girlfriend were on the plane as well. And they're sitting on a couch, and we're sitting on a couch right across from each other. And Trent starts talking to Rip Hamilton and starts asking him questions about his career and what it was like when he was playing here or there. And he blew Rip away. He even said, he even, Rip even said to me, and then after like an hour and a half, I go, Trent, he got to go to sleep. We got to get a nap. But his knowledge of basketball was so incredible. But I'm thankful for Rick Adam, and I'm thankful For, you know, all of the coaches that I've had the pleasure to be around. Paul Westfall is one of the great human beings on the planet. And he's fighting for his life right now. And I love Paul. I love what he stands for. And when I had Charles Barkley on in the second episode of If You Don't Like That, we talked a lot about Paul. My life's better because Paul Westfall was in it and is in it. And I can't say enough great things about what an what a unbelievable human being Paul Westphal is. I'm so thankful that our paths crossed. I'm thankful from all the coaches. And part of the problem with naming coaches is if I leave someone out, I don't want to offend anybody. To this day, I'm still very close with Dave Yeager. I'm so happy that he got a job in Philadelphia with the 76ers. Uh, I've developed a nice friendship with Luke Walton. And I honestly don't know how Luke is going to win any games with the team this year. I I, I don't know how it's going to happen. And people are going to want to blame him. Well, don't blame him because you know what? You can't cook a good meal with crappy groceries. So don't blame Luke, all right? But I'm thankful that I got a chance to be around Luke Walton. So I'm thankful for so many things that have gotten me to this point. But most of all, I'm thankful for you because without you, I would not be doing a podcast. I would not have so many people listening. And so for that, I say, thank you. And I will always be grateful for all the fans that have watched me and listened to me in Sacramento and those around the country who have gotten to know me from filling in for Jim Rome. I'm so thankful to have you, As a fan, I just cannot thank you enough. And I really mean that. All right. As always, each and every podcast, we like to do some questions and answers, right? Now, I've said this before, and I'm going to let you know because there are some that are listening to the podcast for the first time. If you go to crowdquestion.com, it's very simple. You can ask me a question. All right. So, if you want to ask me a question just log on, sign up, it takes what a minute. It's not a problem at all. You go to uh crowdquestion.com, that is crowdquestion.com. All right? Now, some of the questions I will not answer because I don't think that they're they're not proper, all right? So if if I don't answer your question, I don't want you to think it's because I don't like you. It's just, it's not a proper question, but I haven't had many. The reason why I'm bringing that up is I had someone the other day ask me, how come you didn't answer my question? Well, you know, I'm not going to answer the question if it's, if it's, if you're ripping the hell out of somebody, all right? Unfairly, I should say. All right. Corey asked, what's the most harmful factor contributing to terrible organizations like the Knicks or the Jets? Very simple ownership. And I don't even have to go into it. All right. Court. Do you have any holiday traditions you do throughout the holiday season? You know, Court, because of what I do for a living, the holidays have never been a big deal to me. I don't have any holiday traditions. I'm not really a big holiday person. Thankfully, my wife is. She does everything for me, and I really mean that. She's great. She's incredible, and she does love the holidays. So I try not to be a Grinch, and I do try to make it nice for her, but I'm not a big holiday person. I'm really not. All right, somebody wants to know, What are your thoughts about the Kings draft pick, Tyrese Halliburton? Does he remind you of a young Doug Christie? I haven't seen Halliburton play enough to say who he reminds me of or who he doesn't remind me of. What I would say is it was a weak draft. It's a guard-oriented league, and he went all the way to 12. Why is that? Now, he may end up being the best player in the draft. I don't know that. But I keep on reading and hearing about how the Kings are going to build around De'Aaron Fox, Marvin Bagley, And Halliburton, well, how can you build around someone that you don't even know how he's going to be in the NBA? He may be great. He could be a bust. I don't know. I don't know enough about him. I hope he does well. I really do. I I always root for young players in the NBA. All right. Roger, who do you have as the front runner for winning the Super Bowl at this point? By the way, I love the Carson Wentz rant. Well, I've got to jump on the bandwagon and go Kansas City, my dark horse, is Tennessee in the AFC and in the NFC. If if Drew Brees is healthy, I think this is their year to make it and possibly win a Super Bowl. Possibly. All right. Again, go to crowdquestion.com. If you want to ask me a question, I'll do my best to answer it. Crowdquestion.com. It's time for Grant's Rant. Grant, Grant. Today's rant is brought to you by New Works Plumbing. Locally owned in Sacramento for 20 years. Leak detection, waterline repair, bathroom plumbing. New Works Plumbing is a full-service plumbing solution. Folks, no matter how small or how large your plumbing problem, they've got a fix for you. Their expert technicians are available 24-7 for all of your plumbing needs. Call the experts at newworksplumbing.com. That's N-E-W-W-R-X-plumbing.com. Now, I talked about this a little while ago, all right? If you cannot have college football, play a full schedule, games are getting called off every weekend. You had Thursday night football, all right? The Ravens and the Steelers, they can't play. That game has been moved, all right? How are you going to have an indoor sport like basketball with the COVID cases skyrocketing all over the country? I said this a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to say it again. We're almost in December. Training camps are supposed to open next week. You tell me how you're going to be able to keep the players COVID-free, coaches COVID-free, staff COVID-free, and play games December 22nd. I don't see it. You know, and I hate to be the Grinch here over the holiday season. Everyone's getting excited about free agency in the recent draft. You better hold your horses, folks. You better put the freaking brakes on. Because I don't see how you're going to be playing basketball on December 22nd. Same thing with hockey. Now, they have not announced when they're going to start. But again, how is that going to happen? Unless you're playing in a bubble, unless you're going to have at least four bubbles, and by at least four, I mean hockey's talking about that. That's the only possible way I can see this working. I I just don't see it. I mean, how is it that we are going to look at college football, the NFL, and then you're going to have basketball starting in the middle of the spike everywhere, and until the vaccination is available, this is the way it's going to be. I don't want to be doom and gloom here. I'm just trying to be realistic. I don't see how basketball is going to get up and running on December 22nd. People need to slow down. Everyone's talking about who's going to play on this team. Who's going to play on that team. This team's going to be good. This team's going to be bad. You better just hope you have a damn season. That's what you ought to be focusing on right now. And that is my rant for today. Hey, if you are enjoying the podcast, please leave a comment, would you? Subscribe. Spread the word. I also want to remind everybody that five days a week, I do my rant on video. So if you go to YouTube, if you don't like that with Grant Napier on YouTube, you can check out my video rant there as well. Folks, let me wrap this up again by saying I am unbelievably thankful for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And as always, thanks for listening to If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. we